0: Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. As you're being seated, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the New Testament letter of Paul to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Our text is found in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. According to the tradition of the church, 2 Timothy is the last thing that the Apostle Paul wrote. He is in prison, probably in Rome, and he is facing his execution, his execution that is the price that he will pay for his faithfulness to Christ, and he's writing this letter to his protege, Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in the city of Ephesus at this point, and most of us assume that Timothy was to take over this young Christian movement after Paul's passing. So, if the tradition of the church is right, we are reading some of the last words from the last letter that Paul wrote before he made his transition from this world to the world to come. So 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll begin reading at verse 6. Paul says, As for me, I'm already being poured out as a libation, or as a sacrifice. And the time of my departure has come. Notice that word, departure. It really was a, a first century Greek word that was Primarily used in the nautical world, and it meant leaving this shore for another. And that's how Paul is defining his transition from this life to the life to come, simply as his departure. And he says that the time of my departure has come. Verse 7 I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And then jumping down to verse 16, we will hear Paul make a reference to his first trial before Roman authorities. And he says at verse 16, At my first defense... No one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. Paul Paul assumes he is going to die as a result of this imprisonment. He assumes he's about to make his departure. But even though death is what awaits him, he still can faithfully say, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. God either delivers in this world or in the world to come. So because of that, Paul can end this text by saying, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Even though these are perhaps among the last words that the Apostle Paul penned, I hear among these words a resounding call to living life as fully as we can live life. So that we can get to the point one day of saying what Paul is saying here when he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. So the good fight, the race, the keeping of the faith is a resounding call to living life fully, living life well. Most of you here in this sanctuary this morning um, remember and have great esteem for Bishop Tom Stockton, who served this congregation twice and served the wider church as a bishop, how he was fond of saying frequently, calling all of us to live alive even had his tag on his car that says, live alive. And that was his way of calling us to living fully, to living well, to living this life in whatever may be our circumstances, to the extent that God is calling us to live life in this world. Living well is certainly an art form. Living life fully in the midst of all the trying circumstances of life is an art form that really must be learned and we can learn it over the course of life. We need to understand what it means to live fully, to live well, to embrace what is human flourishing. We need to know what we mean by terms like that as we seek to day by day live well. I think there's a lot that many of us can say to one another As we're encouraging one another to live well, I'm sure that we probably can say to each other that all of us need to be more beautiful on the inside than the outside if we're to live well. We need to be bigger on the inside, more expansive on the inside than the outside if we are to live well. If we are to live well, we've got to learn how to embrace every situation and every circumstance that allows us the opportunities to develop character, to grow virtues in our lives. To live well, I think we would encourage one another that we need to spend our time wisely. We need to make our choices wisely because if you add up all of our choices, what you end up with is our life, the sum total of all of our choices. We need to take time to read good books, perhaps even read great books. We need to listen to great music. We need to make sure that we have time every day to think deep, profound thoughts, and to engage in substantial conversation with the people that God has placed in our lives. I would even add that if we're going to live fully and live well, we perhaps need to, the best we can given our circumstances, travel. It amazes me that St. Augustine One of the early Christian fathers who was one of the greatest theologians of the church between New Testament and Protestant Reformation said at one point in the 5th century that the world is a book and those who never travel only read but a page. So perhaps we need to travel and to experience as much of life, experience the varieties of life to the best as we can given our circumstances in life. It was Mark Twain one time who said that travel is is deadly to prejudice and we need to do everything we can to try to destroy the prejudices that we carry with us in life. There are many things we can do to live fully, to live well. But beyond all of the advice that we can give to one another, we need to pause and define our terms. We need to make sure we understand what it means to live fully, to live well. We need to understand what human flourishing looks like. Because the world around us will define those things for us if we let the world around us define those things. The world around us will tell us what the good is. The world around us will tell us what living well is all about. The world around us will paint a picture of human flourishing. So we need to be very careful, very intentional about defining those terms because here we are placed in life seeking day day by day, by day, to live well, live fully. So what does that mean? Obviously, as we think about what it means to live fully, to live the good life, to embrace human flourishing, we are sent back to Jesus. Because when we are sent back to Jesus, we are reminded that Jesus is God's supreme revelation of God's self. Jesus is God's supreme revelation of what human flourishing looks like. Jesus is God writ large in human history regarding what the good life is all about. So we need to look at Jesus to make sure that we live well because for those of us who have embraced the way of Christ, for those of us who have allowed ourselves to be embraced by Christ, we need to make sure that the good life, living well, living fully, is embracing the life that Jesus Christ wants for us. The world will paint many other pictures of how we ought to live, but there's Jesus in our midst calling us to the fullness of life calling us to the full human expression of what it means to live life fully. So when we look at Jesus, we see that the good life, the full life, life lived well, is life lived in total and complete surrender to God. Jesus did only what the Father called him to do. The will of Jesus was one with The Father and that should be our aim complete surrender complete abandonment to the way of God the will of God, the way of Christ the will of Christ in the world when we think about the good life we are a peculiar people who define the good life in regards to the call to holiness that God has placed on our lives in the world around us doesn't help us when it comes to defining what the call to holiness is all about, what it means to live a holy life. To be holy simply means to be separated, to be set apart, to be separated and set apart for God's purposes in the world, just as Jesus was. So the good life, the full life, living well, human flourishing, for us, is all about a life of holiness lived, seeking more fully, day by day, to appropriate the image of Jesus Christ in us. Paul certainly did that. Paul lived in surrender to what Jesus Christ wanted for him. So Paul's vision of the good life, the full life, human flourishing was all about faithfully following Jesus Christ in the world. So Paul abandoned himself to the ways and the will of Jesus. Paul abandoned himself to the means of grace, to prayer and fasting and fellowship with the people of Jesus in order to grow daily in the image of Jesus Christ, to grow to maturity in the image of Jesus Christ. Our goal, our aim, is to becoming more and more Christ-like, Throughout the journey of life, all of our choices should not only add up to our life, but all of our choices should add up to being more Christ-like in the way that we live. Now again, the world would define the full life very differently than a life that looks like the life of Jesus Christ, lived through the power of the Spirit here in this world. But that's what Paul would mean by the good life. And that's why Paul lived fully and he lived in faith and then he could approach death in faith and he could say with confidence or faith, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there awaits for me a crown of righteousness. When I think about the living of human life, I'm reminded that that great authors like Flannery O'Connor and Fyodor Dostoevsky and all the authors of the Old and the New Testament have taught us over and over and over again that there's basically two ways to live life. We have basically two options regarding how we can center our lives. Now, granted, most of us will vacillate between these two options day to day. We will bounce back and forth between these two options. But we need to be very clear about these two options and realize that these really are the only two options for the living of life. And we need to try to choose the better way. One option for the living of life is a life centered on God. A life centered on the way and the will of God. A life centered on God as the grand master of our lives. The God of the Jewish Christian faith. The God who has revealed God's self to us. The God who has spoken to us. The God who is speaking to us. The God who is helping us to become more like Jesus Christ every day. That can be the aim for living. Or, as particularly Dostoevsky and Flannery O'Connor would say, our aim for living can be all about seeking the autonomy of the self, being our own person, doing it our way. Get to the end of our life and be able to sing that great anthem with Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way, to make sure that we are captains of our own destiny, that we are doing things that meet our definitions for the good life or living fully or human flourishing. We can either pursue passionately the way of God, the will of God, seek to live a God centered, God focused life, and for, that, for us that comes in the vision of Jesus Christ in our lives, or we can seek self actualization. We can seek full personal autonomy, I do it, I did it, and I will do it my way. The only surrender in the life-seeking personal autonomy is a surrender to what one wants for one's own life. Now, sometimes in human history, as we vacillate back and forth between a life centered on God and a life centered on pursuing personal autonomy, we have pursued some things in our pursuit of personal autonomy that have been good things. Loyalty, commitment, allegiance to the common good. But I would echo many writers of the common present era who say that in our age, the pursuit of personal, individual, self-rule and autonomy doesn't look like seeking loyalty and commitment, allegiance to the greater good as much as it looks like seeking my pursuit of pleasure, seeking my pursuit of comfort. You know, really making sure that I end with the most toys because the one who ends with the most toys ends well. I don't think I need to paint the picture anymore of what a life given to seeking just personal autonomy is all about. We are pulled to that in so many ways by the culture around us. Sometimes we'll even take human selfishness and our narcissism and baptize it with some spiritual language to try to make us feel a little better about all of our selfish pursuits. I think one of the modern versions of that is the so-called prosperity gospel in the American church, and it's very much the American church. But we have these two ways presented before us. And they're the same two ways that Moses presented before the people of Israel when he said, here's the way of life, here's the way of death, which do you choose? So we vacillate back and forth, but hopefully our goal is right. Hopefully our vision is right. We want to seek life surrendered to the Spirit, the will, the way, of Jesus Christ and Jesus may call us to some things that were very countercultural to the world around us. Recently I had a wonderful opportunity I met with a group of of leaders of industry I met with this group on the top floor, the 20th floor of of the old Reynolds building in downtown downtown Winston-Salem and this was a group of people and they were all men. This was a group of men who, who lead their own companies. Most of them founded their own companies. Their major companies here in the triad. This was the second time they'd invited me in to have conversation with them because this group of business corporate leaders happened to be professing Christians, and this is the second time they've called me in because they want to have a conversation periodically about what it means for them to live in their world as Christ followers because they are very much in a world that pulls them in other directions, pulls them toward the idol of self-autonomy, self-rule, self-aggrandizement. So I was able to gather. We gathered for a morning, and they invite me in, and it's really is a lot of fun for me because they tell me really don't prepare, just show up. And they want to ask me questions about living the Christian life in this age, how to live counterculturally in this world. And for me, it's always a great, great opportunity to be around those gentlemen. And it's very refreshing to find those people with their levels of influence seeking first and foremost to be influences for Jesus Christ here in this age, this culture here in the triad. We need to make sure that we define the good life the way God would define the good life. Johann Sebastian Bach was a great, great musician. We all know that. I think one of the reasons that Johann Sebastian Bach was a great musician was he, he believed at the core of his being that everything he was doing, he was doing for the glory of God. He said at one point, he said, I may write the notes, but it's God who makes the music. And that's why at the end of all of his compositions, he would sometimes he would write it out, sometimes he would just put the initials SDG for the Latin phrase, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. It's what Bach wrote at the end of all of his musical compositions, that should be written large over our lives. Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. It's so easy to get caught up living for our own glory. So to pursue the good life, we have to pursue God we have to pursue intimacy with God, closeness with God, a life of going on to perfection, a life of growing intimacy with God, using the means of grace, living out the acts of mercy, truly seeking to become broken bread and poured out wine for the sake of this world. That's countercultural. The way we define the good life or abundant life is very different from the way that popular culture would define it. That's why for us suffering, even if it's suffering, even if it's suffering can be suffering for Christ, with Christ, in Christ, and even in the midst of suffering, it can be an opportunity to witness to our faith in Christ. So we even see suffering differently than the world around us. So if we learn to live well, live faithfully because they're one and the same for us then we can come to the end of our life and with St. Paul say I have finished the race I have kept the faith because I have fought the good fight and then we approach the end knowing that if we live well live fully we can live faithfully we can die in the faith and we can really begin to live at that point. had a great opportunity last weekend. I I really do hope you missed me last week and noticed I wasn't here. Uh, I had a great opportunity last week. Tammy and I were in New York City attending the 50th anniversary celebration of the New York City C.S. Lewis Society. That was the very first C.S. Lewis Society created after the death of Mr. Lewis in 1963. The one in New York City actually predated the C.S. Lewis Society of Oxford, C.S. Lewis' hometown, by 13 years. So we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the C.S. Lewis Society, and in many ways we all reminded ourselves of, of the significance of C.S. Lewis. He was one of the greatest... Christian authors of the 20th century. He was one of the greatest defenders of the Christian faith in the 20th century. He wrote remarkable books for adults, and he wrote remarkable books for children, the Chronicles of Narnia. But throughout all of his writing, after his conversion experience in his early 30s, all of his writing was for the same purpose, to bring glory to Jesus Christ. And his writings over... The last several decades have brought more and more people into a deeper, deeper relationship for Jesus Christ. He's helped many of us see that the Christian faith is the most rational, reasonable thing we can do in life. And he's helped many of us learn how to try to baptize our imaginations so that even our imaginations can be used for Jesus Christ. Even something like the Chronicles of Narnia, even though children can really enjoy those stories. I know as an adult there are times I have to flee into those stories. I need to flee to Narnia just to kind of get out of this culture. And by fleeing to Narnia I can become and live counterculturally in this world. And throughout all of his writings, particularly even those writings for children, you see the Christian faith and the great themes of the Christian faith presented over and over and over again in, in, in very imaginative ways. The last chronicle, the chronicle of, Chronicles of Narnia, is entitled The Last Battle. In that fantasy, you see the world of Narnia coming to an end and the next world coming in to fruition. So at the end of The Last Battle, as this age is leaving and the new age is coming, you hear Aslan the lion, the Christ figure in the Chronicles of Narnia talking to the children, the Pivensi children. And he's saying to the Pivensi children that they are about to begin their greatest adventure because they don't know it. By the way, spoiler alert. They don't know it, but they've been killed in a train wreck. And they're about to begin their greatest adventure. So the last words... The final words in the final chapter of the last chronicle of Narnia, the last battle, are these words where Aslan the lion, the Christ figure, is speaking to those children. And he says this, And as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories. And we can most truly say that that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story which no one on earth can read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. C.S. Lewis was convinced the world to come is the real world. This is the shadow lands. What we see here are but shadows of what is real in the real world. So church, may we live well which means to live faithfully. And may we die faithfully. May we die in the faith when our time comes. And then may we go forth to truly live fully. Amen.